How good must it be for God to hear us say in song and from our hearts, I need you. Our culture, it makes us independent people. Think for yourself, make your own decisions, go for it. But the reality is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're dependent people. And it's meant to be that way. We need, we need God. We need his word in our lives, his presence through the spirit, his power over temptation. We need him. Good words. Wasn't that great to hear a word from Pastor Ray this morning? That was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, definitely. He's obviously looking forward to, to getting back. And I know you're looking forward to being together again with your pastor. That was, uh, that was great this morning to hear a word from him. Let me uh, remind you, we've been two weeks talking about comebacks. This is the third week. This will be a little different angle on comebacks, but we've been saying that our God is a God of comebacks. He delights in picking up what is broken or fractured or unconnected and, and putting it back together in a life comeback and, and making us more useful to him as he continues to, to shape our lives. And that's what we've been talking about, and we'll continue right through Thanksgiving week. How many have a frozen turkey in your freezer? How many of you played it smart? You don't have a turkey, but you're going to go somewhere else and eat their turkey. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Either way, either way, we have so much to be thankful for, as was said already. We really do. You don't have to look very far. And uh, if you can't think of something when the question comes around, what are you thankful for? Just go to the basics. I'm thankful that God sent his only begotten son, that whoever, and that would include me, believes in him shall not perish but have, present tense, everlasting life. What, I mean, that's all you got to say right there. That means we're on our way to heaven one day, and that's a lot to be thankful for. The challenge is, you know, that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, there's so much distraction, isn't there? I, I remember when I had two small children, and we traveled a lot. We were Early on, we were missionaries. We drove all over the place, church to church. Two kids in the back seat, mile after mile, things happen. And when you're driving, and you hear something big time happening, she bit me! You know, it, 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 it's distracting, you know, and what you want to do is turn around, which you don't really want to do if you're driving. And we're people that are to keep, as the writer of Hebrews said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The distractions of the world are trying to pull our attention away from him. And if you're not feeling thankful because 2020 has been full of lumps, bumps, and thumps, just remember all that he has done for you in spite of the lumps, thumps, and bumps. He loves you. He's walking with you. And maybe this morning you're in that, in that process of coming back or getting closer to him. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're in a negative chapter during a positive holiday, Numbers chapter 11, if you have a Bible. And this morning, uh, even though my Bible's open, I'm going to be reading to you out of the message because Numbers 11 is a lot of conversation between Moses and God. And I love the way Eugene Peterson's paraphrase uh, kind of freshens up and moderns up the language. It's not a Bible I study out of, but sometimes the, uh, the, the way it is written there in the message is just, it, it, it's great stuff in, in some of the narrative passages. So, so that's where we will uh, be reading out of this morning. 
but we're talking about, in your notes, long-term comebacks. It's about, okay, I was there, but now I'm here, and I'm moving back to there. I'm processing between here and there, and sometimes, seldom, but sometimes that's a quick move. Most of the time, it takes longer than we'd like. The Christian life is a process that actually never finishes. We're being changed into the image of Jesus as we yield to the indwelling spirit, but it takes time. And it also has various setbacks and, well, thumps, bumps, and lumps in that process. But we're, we're moving that direction. And the example I want to use this morning is the children of Israel. They're in the book of Numbers. Wow, long-term comeback. That's what's going on. We often, it says there, think about sports, fourth quarter, the clock. There's no clock on a long-term comeback. It's a process. The second paragraph says it took a long, long time for Israel to come back from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. The promise of a land flowing with milk and honey was there, but the process of getting there involved time and a number of elements I want to look at. Now, let me just do that quick little Old Testament place-setting history thing. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans to a place he didn't know where he's going. God called him, made him the promise. Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to make your descendants like the sand of the sea, like the stars in the sky. It's going to be amazing. And he was over 100 years old when Isaac was born. And after Isaac came Jacob and Esau. And Jacob had 12 sons. And one of them was favored. There was some dysfunction in that family. Joseph was the favored son. The other, other guys knew it. They hated him. When they had opportunity, they sold him to a traveling band of Ishmaelites. They took him down to Egypt. And what a story that is in Genesis. You talk about a narrative. <laughs> Joseph, God's hand was on him. And even though he was a slave, he went to a rich house. He did well. Oh, got thrown back in jail. God watched out for him, and he was elevated to the number two position in Egypt. The kid whose family rejected him, who was thrown in jail, he was a slave. He's at the top of the pile. And then the story's so great when those brothers have to come crawling down to Egypt because of a famine. Don't, don't you love that? I, I, I never get tired of that story. And, and the, I can't read it without emotion. I mean, and Joseph a couple times just had to cut loose. He's a man, but he cries. I mean, that's okay. He sees his brothers, oh, and, and, and it's all put back together. Jacob, the father, comes down. They settle in Egypt. So what happens next? The family stays in Egypt. But God told Abraham the land was up there. They stayed there and started proliferating. And they became so great in numbers, the Egyptians got worried. And the Bible says, it's a great line, now there arose a new pharaoh in Egypt who knew not Joseph. And all of a sudden, everything changed for this growing family of Israel. And they were put into slavery. And they became manual labor for the pharaoh to build his cities, his buildings, all this stuff. It was a miserable existence. They were beaten. They, were, and they grew so fast, there was an edict to, to take out all the baby boys because they wanted to slow down the population growth of the Jewish people there. And that's the story of Moses who avoided that edict and went floating down the river in a basket. And he grew up and eventually left Egypt and was backside of the desert. 
His life's going by. He's 40 years old. Can you imagine 40? And he's hardly even, you know, he, he leaves. And God calls him when he's 80. That's what I love, 80 years old. You think you're old? You're not old. <laughs> and he comes back, and God says, I've heard the cries of my people, and now the process starts. And Moses, you know the story. We've touched on it a little bit the past couple of weeks. He goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah, right, get out of here. Ten plagues destroy Egypt, and finally Pharaoh says, good riddance, get out of here. Moses leads Israel, millions of people down to the edge of the Red Sea. God spares them by opening the sea and destroying the Egyptian army. It's such an awesome story, and now they're on their way to the land of milk and honey. Woohoo! And they're, they're, they, they think it's great. They've been slaves their whole, what do they know? They don't know how to fight, they don't know how to farm, they don't, they're, they're slaves. And they start out to take the shortcut, and what happens? Moses says, Let, pick, a, pick a, a good man from each of the 12 tribes, we're gonna send them into the land incognito so they can check it out and we'll see how we can approach this. And here you go, that's one of the first biblical committee meetings and it goes south right from the beginning. They go in, you know the story, they come back and 10 of the spies say, wow, you ought to see the size of the melons and the grapes. It does flow with milk and honey. It's awesome. However, the people, these people are huge. I guess the Israelites maybe hadn't been eating a lot of protein in their diet. I don't know, but apparently, comparatively, they felt like grasshoppers in the sight of these great we can't beat these people we can't take this land the cities have walls around them we can't get in there we can't what are we gonna do we can't. <laughs> and, and then and they give that report but two of the 12 these are the these are the coolest guys in the whole in the whole group there two of them joshua and caleb what no wait 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 do you not remember that God just took us right across the Red Sea on dry ground? That God has already provided water when we needed it? What are you thinking? God has promised us this land every place we step, ours. We can surely do this. The other 10, no, no, we can't. So it was a 10 to 2 vote, and they lost, and that displeased God greatly. And right there, the process of getting from there to there changed because it's not far from the land of Goshen, Egypt, just to slip in the southern side of the promised land. And that's where the spies went in. But when that report came back, God said, really? Okay, plan B. And now this process starts for 40 years while an entire generation died off except for those two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And it's the process that I want to talk about in a 30,000-foot view this morning because the process that we go through in a comeback, the process that we go through in growing in Christ involves sometimes some of these same, same lessons. I think they're valuable for us. So that, that's what I want to walk through this morning, these elements. And here's the first one in your notes. One of the elements is that sometimes because of timing or this or that or the other, we struggle, struggling with the process of getting from here to there. How come it isn't easier? How come God doesn't just smooth the road out for me so I can move ahead? What's the deal with the difficulties here? So listen to what happens here. And again, I'm reading 
from the message, and it says in Numbers 11, verses 4, 5, and 6, the riffraff among the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt, and we got it free to say nothing of the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic and the pizza. and the, it, it doesn't say pizza in the Hebrew, but you get the idea. It, isn't it amazing how good things looked in the rearview mirror? They were slaves. Remember how good we had in Egypt? Come on. So they're looking backwards, and then they say, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. Now, now think about what they're saying when they say that. The God of heaven miraculously provides on a daily basis food for them. They just get up out of their tents. They go outside. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Woo! All we get to eat is manna, manna, manna. Oh, man. What would you do if you're God? <laughs> you know, but God is long-suffering and grace-filled, but he wasn't happy. What they're actually saying here is, God, we were better off before you got involved in our lives. That's a problem. Now, I want you to understand the difference because you, you read the Psalms and there's all kinds of outpouring of pain and asking God to please listen and please hear. But that is different. God will listen to our pain. He'll listen to our heartaches. He, in fact, he wants us to bring that stuff to him. There it is in the Psalms. But what doesn't fly is when we say, God, what have you done for me lately? I was better off without you. That's a whole different deal. And that's what Israel was doing. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe all parents at one point or another have experienced the ungratefulness of your children. They're just kids. But it's like, <laughs> you're paying a mortgage for a house in which they live under your roof. That means they get air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter. You're putting food on the table for them to feed their cute little faces with. You buy them clothes and most other things that they ask for. But when they get to that ingrate thing, correction time. Why can't I have a new iPhone? All my friends have an iPhone. I you never get me anything. <laughs> I wonder how God feels. Will we get a little taste of it if our kids ever go down that road? Struggling with the process, that's what was going on in these verses. And let me say, trusting God and accusing God or complaining to God about his failures are incompatible. You can't say, I'm trusting God, and at the same time, question or critique his failure to meet your need. Here's another one. The temptation to quit. 
I would just imagine that almost every one of us at some point in life, maybe not yet, but, but most of us, have come to that point where you're ready to cash in your chips. That's it. This is in Numbers, the next few verses there, chapter 11, verses 11 through 15, and you could just call it meltdown. This is Moses, God's man, who led them across the Red Sea, who provided all these. Here, here's Moses and God having a private conversation. Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive these people? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of those people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother, carry them all the way to the land that you promised their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me? Give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. It's too much, all these people. And then he says, if this is how you intend to treat me, Lord, just do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. Now that is a meltdown right there. <laughs> and he, really? Did Moses say that? Oh, yeah. And he wasn't the only one. You look at some of these other big personalities in the Old Testament. Well, remember Elijah? Mount Carmel? That incredible victory hadn't rained for years. He gets all the prophet of Baal up there, and God brings fire down on Elijah's offering, but not on these, you know, pathetic Baal priests and all the rest of them. And it was a huge victory. And Elijah was able to put to death all of those false prophets of Baal. And then the rain started. And then Elijah ran all the way down the mountain. And it was just an incredible day until he found out that this nasty queen Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow, Elijah is dead meat or something like that. And he goes, oh no. And, and he literally and figuratively goes south. He, he heads for the desert. He takes off. He goes in the middle of nowhere. He sits down under some scrub brush tree. And he says essentially the same thing. I'm the only prophet left out of all the prophets. Nobody cares. Lord, just take my life now. I mean, he had a little meltdown there. Jeremiah did the same thing. Job did something similar. He might have had more excuse than these other guys, but they all got to a point where it was like, I can't take it anymore. The temptation to quit. I think the I give up moment is critical in God's working in our lives. He's not a cruel God, but I think sometimes to teach us, he does some unusual things and wants to bring us to a point where we have no recourse other than to turn to him. And he's waiting for that. Sometimes it's like we don't get that right away. Meltdowns. It makes me think of the old Kenny Rogers country song. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Four hungry children and a crop in the field. We've seen some sad times, been through some bad times. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Oh, you're, you don't... You know, okay. What did you learn in church today? I learned that Lucille had a meltdown. <laughs> okay, I probably shouldn't have done that. Anyway, temptation to quit. Here's another one. Here's what God does. Sharing the load is the next one in your notes. God provides, but his, his provision always has a timing thing attached to it. It's like 
I would like it when I would like it, and God provides in the right moment to stretch my faith, grow me, and meet the need that's needed here. Here's what happens in the next couple of verses here. God said to Moses, okay, okay, take it easy, Moses. Gather together 70 men from among the leaders of Israel, men whom you know to be respected and responsible. Take them to the tent of meeting. I'll meet you there. I'm going to come down and speak with you. I'm going to take some of the spirit that's on you and place it on them. Then they'll be able to take some of the load of this people and you won't have to carry the whole thing by yourself. Thank you. And Moses wasn't insecure enough that he said, no, 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 I'm the leader here. I'll take, no. It was God's provision, and it worked out very well. Even in the New Testament, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6 that we're to bear one another's burdens. A few, a few verses later, he says, each one shall carry his own load. And it's interesting, those are two different words, load, burden. Load is what each one of us is responsible to carry and what we're able to carry. Burden is more than we can carry. And that's where we bear one another's burden when the need is too great for any one of us in the body of Christ. God provides in amazing ways. Sometimes it's through delegation. I'm going to make this thing fit if it... Uh, okay. I have weird ears, I guess. Okay. And I love the verses there in 18 to 20 uh, of chapter 11. It says there, uh, this is what you're going to, God says to Moses, have the people consecrate themselves for tomorrow. You're going to eat meat. They've been crying. You've been weeping in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? It was great in Egypt. So therefore, the Lord's going to give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days or 10 or 20, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. Isn't that cool language from God? So how much turkey are you going to eat this Thursday? <laughs> you're going to be sick of it. You're going to, you're going to, oh. Why did we ever come out of Egypt? That's what you said. This is what you get. I love it. The next one, well, and, and then he says, of course, has the Lord's arm been shortened? I can do anything. My goodness. Do you remember the Red Sea thing? Remember that? It wasn't that long ago. And you're worried about the menu? I could take care of this. He provides. Part of our challenge, especially in the United States, is understanding the difference between a need and a want. Whew, and there is a difference. That, that's very convicting. Let's move on. Here's another one we learned in this process from getting from here to here. We learn that God will sometimes discipline us. That's not the same thing as punish us. Discipline is training. It's putting us back on the track when we've wandered off the track. It's whatever God needs to do to get our attention to move us in the way that he wants us to go. And, and here's what happens in verses 18 uh, to 20 of Numbers 11. God says, tell the people... Uh, to consecrate yourselves. The discipline, I've heard, I read this passage. The meat's going to come out of your nostrils. You're going to be so sick of meat that you'll throw up at the mere mention of it. And here's why, because you've rejected God right here among you. 
You've been whining, why did we ever lead, leave Egypt? God's discipline is for redemptive purposes. The question is, how much pain does it take for you and I to recognize it and to turn the ship back in this direction? We are, we are strong-willed people. God refers to his people Israel as stiff-necked, strong-willed. Yeah, we're, we're, we're of the same ilk. How much pain does it take for God to redirect us? His discipline is for redemptive purposes, not because he's cruel and not because he's toying with us. Here's the last one, life transformation. This is what God wants. This is what he wants in the process. And I think those 40 years in the wilderness was preparatory so that his people were ready to enter the land. And that's why the, the beginning of the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, I love that part. Be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. And there they go, and the priests take the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River, and they walk across again, and kind of a, whoa, it wasn't the same as the Red Sea, but it was like God is with us here. And they move in, and the first thing is Jericho. What a, what a totally non-military victory that was. But just telling them, God is here, God is promised, God is providing. You've got to love the beginning of the, the book, and all the way through Joshua, they just kept taking the land because God had promised it. These people's lives were transformed in that process as they saw day in and day out, city after city, God fulfilling his promise. And this is what God wants. He wants our lives to be transformed and us to be consistent in our trust of his provision in our lives. And this is a good thing to be reminded of in 2020. He's a God that provides. He's a God that's working on each one of us that have our faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to grow us. He wants to change us. And oh, he wants to use us. I had a pastor mentor years ago say, God wants to use you, but he'll get along without you if he has to. Now we see that in Israel's history. Oh, you're not going to believe me? Okay, that generation, you're going to die off in the desert. I'm going to keep my promise, but obviously you weren't. Okay, I'm going to move ahead here. He wants to transform us. And here's the bottom line. What God was doing with Israel and what he wants to do with us is to forge a trust relationship through the process of life. He wants to teach us how to trust him. And naturally, we, we want that to be all sweetness and light. But the most effective way is not only the positives, the victories, and the provisions, but to allow us to struggle and be reminded that he's the all-powerful God. He's the one we trust. Not our own ingenuity, not our own ideas, not our own stuff. He's the one we follow. The picture's so clear in Numbers chapter 11. All the whining and all the accusations and all the provision and all the power. And God fulfilled his promise to Israel. Took a long time for that to happen, but they got there. And I believe if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today that he's also at work in your life. And it may feel like it's taking a long time to make spiritual progress. It may be this morning, even as you sit here, that you're not sure any progress is happening. You just are in Flatsville. Well, just remember how long it took God to work throughout biblical history in different situations. He's in no hurry. 
We're the ones in a hurry. He wants to transform us. He wants to build that trust relationship, and he wants to use us. Think of that. The God that spoke and <laughs> stars, earth, creation. He just spoke it. And he wants to use us in this world. That's pretty amazing. Why would he do that? What a God. He loves us. He's at work in us. He provides for us. He wants to use us. All of us are in process. All of us are somewhere between there and there. Let's trust him. Let's follow him. Let me ask you to stand with me, would you? we head into Thanksgiving week and have so much to be thankful for um, well I know that all of us are in process so just for a minute if you'd bow your head I just want you silently to speak to the Lord you and him and I want first of all for you to simply thank him because he is a good God and he's good all the time thank him that he has offered Jesus Christ and the gift of eternal life to all who believe. Thank him that you know you are on your way to heaven. Thank him that his presence in your life is not something that's stagnant, but he is at work even on those days, maybe weeks, maybe months, where you don't feel it. He's still at work. Right now, in the silence of your heart, just say thank you to him, would you? Next, I'd like you to ask him, because that process is filled with challenges. The process of growing in Christ in this day and age is swimming upstream against our culture. Ask him for the wisdom and for the strength and for the patience to follow him the way he desires that we follow him. Ask him right now in the silence of your heart. Father, I thank you for every one of these men and women that are here in the room this morning. I'm going to assume most of them have a trust relationship with you at some point in their life. They believed that Jesus died and rose again and has forgiven them of their sin and is preparing a place for them for all eternity. But then the rest of life goes on, and it is a process. And we learn things along the way. Sometimes we learn the hard way. But Father, we do say thank you that you're with us through every lump, bump, and thump. You are building us, transforming us, shaping us to be useful to you. So may we, as the chorus said, turn our eyes upon Jesus and keep fixed, looking fully unto him. Because when that happens, all the other distractions of life and of earth, in fact, do kind of grow strangely dim. They're not the priority anymore as we follow you and are transformed by you. 
May that be the reality in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to come down front and pray with an elder, do that. If you're on your way from here, I just want to say thanks for being here this morning. Have a great Thanksgiving, and next week we'll talk about leftovers. It's going to be great, all right? <laughs> thanks for being here. God bless you as you go.